Hello and welcome. My name is Paul Moran and I am a teacher at uh, Blackpool Sixth Form College on the Protective Services course. And today we are joined by uh, a good friend to the college, uh, Mr. James Gorry from the Northwest Ambulance Service. Uh, good afternoon, James. Hi, Paul. Good afternoon. How are you, mate? I'm doing all right. Doing okay. Busy, uh, busy afternoon so far, but oh yeah. Good, good, good. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. Um, as a as a good friend to the college, you uh, you know the kind of work that we're doing and um, the impact it has on our students. And obviously, being a, a, a live learning course in a world pandemic uh, has its effect on people. So these kind of employer podcasts, this being our first, um, is really important for our young learners. Um, but my first question, I know you've run through your curveball. Um, my first question, being a former student of Blackpool Sixth Form, probably when they they had blackboards and chalk, <laughs> what, what, was, what can you remember? What was it like for you as a student, you know, 30, 40 years ago, is it? <laughs> uh, no, no. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was only... I can't even work out how many years ago it was, so I didn't listen too well in my maths, did I? In 2001, I was at Blackpool Sixth Form College. Um, so, yeah, it was a while ago now, I suppose, 19 years ago. Wow. Wow, do you know what? That was before some, most of your students are born. I'm just um, going to say that, yes. Yeah, so a lot of students listening will think, I wasn't even born then. Yeah, that is ancient. They didn't even know things in 2001, if I'm honest. You know, there's so much stuff now that's, yeah. <laughs> We didn't have Chromecasts. We didn't have cloud storage or anything. It was incredible. We did have whiteboards, though. You know, we we weren't that bad. There were projectors on whiteboards, but Blackpool uh, Sixth Form. Yeah, it's a very very different place now. It's a fantastic facility. Isn't it? It's lovely. It looks great, like a university campus almost. But what, what did you what did you study there, James? Uh, I did. Yeah, I studied maths, physics, um, electronics, and then I also did. Uh, PE. Um, I think that's everything. Oh, and IT as well. I did IT. So, James Gurry, the paramedic. Hmm. What is it like? What is life like as a paramedic? You know, talk us through your, your career. What kind of things do you do? You know, what's the kind of the the kind of daily routine for a paramedic? And enlighten us. Um, well, it's it's a life of contrast. I think it's fair to say. Um, we tend to work shift patterns. So on a work day, I'll be working 12 hours. So apart from getting up and having a shower and coming home and going to bed, there's not a lot I tend to do on a day that I'm working. Uh, apart from being at work and obviously the job that we do outside of uh, pandemic and normal times is exciting. It, it's rewarding. It's, it's good fun. It can be a bit stressful. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of pressure at times. So you, you have to live constantly have to uh, work and be under a lot of pressure continuously because if you're not doing anything and you're just drinking a coffee you are waiting for your radio to go there's always something that could happen if you're with a patient just talking you're still watching your equipment you're monitoring the, the condition of your patient there's always something and then you you get to hospital and you've got something else you need to think about so you've got to hand over to the nurse and stuff. so there's there is always something so i think the the contrast between uh, work life being so pressured and such a continuous level of moderate stress 
Um, my home life is super chilled. You know, we get three or four days off on a run, sometimes five days off, and I just I like to chill out. You know, we, we earn reasonable money as a paramedic, so I've got quite a comfortable home and whatnot. Uh, I get out and do a bit of bike riding when I can, enjoy nice food with my wife, and uh, yeah, just just chill out because it's important, I think, to just just to be able to take the downtime and uh, just kind of invest in yourself quite a bit because if you just lived constantly under pressure man it'd absolutely do you in and unfortunately we, you know we do see that with some of our colleagues people burn out or want to be everything to everybody and just constantly yeah you know never never chilling out it, it, it doesn't work out you need to you need to think of yourself and have some pajama days i can i can imagine james you know it's such a I can imagine it's been a re- really rewarding industry at times where you, you're, you're going to make such positive contributions to people's lives. But on the flip, you're going to get those really testing times, the times where it's going to test your emotions, you know. But, you know, if you're in a 12-hour shift, you know, do you have to kind of put it to back in your mind because you, you're on your way to your next call kind of thing? How do you kind of cope with that? Um, sometimes not very well, I'll be honest. Uh, but you do, you have to. I think with the type of job that it is, Paramedics tend to see the worst time in most people's lives. I mean, very, very rarely the best, so that you can help deliver somebody's baby. But if you call in a paramedic to help deliver your baby, it's because it hasn't gone to plan. Um, if you found a relative of yours not breathing, it's not your best day, is it? You know, so we're always kind of thrown into people's worst, worst times. Uh, so we, I think, if you were being a not without sounding awful if you're being a normal person and in these situations you'd be an absolute nervous wreck by the end of your shift because if every patient you went to you carried with you and you continually thought about your mind would be full and you wouldn't emotionally have the bandwidth to, to to deal with that we're not designed to put up with that so i think one of the strategies that most people will uh, develop is uh you know giving, giving the patient you're with gets absolutely everything you will give them everything in your toolbox everything in your arsenal that you can all the empathy you can muster all the sympathy interest professional curiosity and care that you could possibly give somebody but when your professional responsibility for that person's over then that's that, that's kind of it then you, you need to be able to pack that in a box and, and put it away somewhere. And uh, I'm quite lucky that I've got a terrible memory. So I tend to forget quite a lot anyway. Uh, but there are obviously jobs that stick with you. You know, you do, you, you do carry some things with you, but, um, but it's balanced, I think, because, uh, you, you've got to try and find the positives in things because you can go to somebody who's having a, a heart attack, which is obviously life threatening, but you can take the pain away. You can give them medicines that'll stop them from dying, hopefully. And should their heart stop beating, we're in a position to get it going again. And we've done that. And I've, like, there, are, there are people who I know personally now uh, who are alive and bizarrely still at work because of things that I've done. Uh, and if I hadn't treated them the way that I had, uh, then there'd be a headstone with their name on it, which is quite powerful, really. But every time, I mean, I feel a bit uncomfortable when he says, you know, when he reminds me of it, but... It's nice that his daughter, who's I think eight or nine now, gets to be put to bed by a dad rather than just a mum. Uh, so, you know, you, 
you get over it, I think. I suppose that helps you get out of bed in the morning, doesn't it? And go to work and do the job you do, knowing that you can make that kind of difference to someone's life. Yeah, of course it is. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. You know, there, there are babies crawling around and making a mess in Blackpool that I've delivered. There are, like I said, parents with children. And there are also, like, uh, adults whose parents have died, but I've been able to make their parents comfortable I've been able to give them as much dignity as possible because that's another thing. I think as a paramedic, everybody dies. You know, it's not something we can stop. We can't resurrect people, but we can improve dignity and the the circumstances. We can make it as best as we can. And that, for me, that's one of the most important things is just to be able to provide families with dignity and and the feeling that thing for a terrible situation, the things that have happened have happened in a better way than perhaps they would have done otherwise, which again, it's, it's quite rewarding. No, that, that's great. So it sounds like, um, day to day in your industry is, um, challenging, rewarding and beneficial, but, but now we're in a, in the middle of a world pandemic, you know, coronavirus has taken over the world and, you know, it's, it seems like it's always been around us, you know, how was, how has the coronavirus or the COVID-19 pandemic, how has it affected um, paramedics? Has it changed what you guys do on a day-to-day prior to us being, us knowing about COVID? What happens now? Oh, man, it's crazy. I mean, just as an, like something that keeps coming into my mind. Is, do you remember, like, you go to a birthday party and somebody would blow all over a cake and then everybody else would eat it. How disgusting is that, really, when you think about it? It sounds like, oh, COVID, COVID, don't breathe on me. Two metres, stay away. Oh, man, there's always been flu. There's always been cold, but we've been quite happily spitting on each other and God knows what. Oh, it's horrendous. <laughs> but without being, like, over the top with that kind of stuff, from an ambulance perspective, obviously, <laughs> we're in, like, a, a really high-risk group because when, when anybody's really struggling with the breathing, probably got COVID, possibly dying or recently just died of COVID. We're asked to, you are quick, get in here quick and get in the bedroom where they've been sat coughing and sneezing and whatever for however many days with all the windows shut. So it's full of it. It's everywhere. We're at really high risk of exposure. And it, unfortunately, there's quite a lot of staff caught it. I mean, I, I've had it. Um, and there's some staff that have become really unwell with it. So it, even going from turning up to work it used to be you're trying to remember the door code you get in find your locker key wherever whichever pocket you'd left it in in your trousers get dressed in your uniform or you turn up in your uniform get your keys for your vehicle and go out and start doing your job whereas now as soon as you're in the ambulance station you've got to take your temperature you've got to write your temperature down on a spreadsheet and what shift you're on just in case you come into contact with somebody you've immediately got to put a mask on nowhere on an ambulance station or in an ambulance are you allowed to be without a mask um, now staff should, shouldn't be wearing uniform to and from work because obviously uniform's got a risk of contamination. Um, locker rooms, offices, communal rooms have all got limits on how many people can sit there. So, for example, at Blackpool Ambulance Station, at the minute where normally we'd sit probably 10, 15 people in a room all watching telly and having a laugh and you know, throwing crisps at each other or whatever it is that staff do, um, it's limited to six now, like quite a really big room. But yeah, so now there's six people all have to be sat within uh, more than, sorry, two metres away from each other. And it's all the, the social distancing and it applies to everything. So every patient we go to, 
we have to wear a complete protective uh, set. So we've got aprons, masks, eye protection, obviously the gloves as normal, sleeve protectors. We absolutely, and each patient gets a completely fresh set. So each, each job, each incident we attend, it's an extra minute and a half of perhaps not delay, but stuff we have to think about. Uh, and then if you're driving the ambulance, you get out of the back of the ambulance, you take all of that protective gear off, bundle it up in a, a way that, again, we had to do a 20-minute a, a course learning how to take aprons and masks off without flicking COVID all over ourselves. Um, you, you drive the ambulance to hospital with your mate in the back, and then when you get to hospital, you've got to put a full set of this protective gear back on so that you can help get the patient out of the back of the ambulance. So it's, it's not massive, massive changes. It's only like 5 10% change in practice. But 5% change in practice every 20 minutes, every half an hour, it, it's cumulative and it ends up being that it's, it is just draining. After a day's work, you really feel like you've had to do a lot of thinking. And that's just for in, incidents, I don't know, like someone's gone over on their ankle or they've broken a leg, something pretty, without being, uh, without minimising it, something that's pretty basic. We've got loads more stuff to think about. And if we were to go to a more complicated incident, like a cardiac arrest, because of the different procedures we perform, where we're messing about inside people's airways, we've got even more procedures where you've probably seen it on telly of people in the big white suits and the big hoods and masks and really, really dramatic kit that I can promise is really uncomfortable to work in. You get very, very hot because we wear that on top of all our normal uniform. Um, so you're hot. You're sweating. You can't really hear what anybody's saying. Nobody can hear what you're saying when you're asking them to do things. Your movement's restricted. You've forgotten that your keys are on in your pocket. And you can't get into your pocket because you've got a white suit on and everything is just more difficult. Um, and I think just generally work-wise as a, the, the way that the health service is going, the hospitals are chocker. I mean, even now that it's still chaos in, in our local ED, um, but I think the public have genuinely responded really, really well and have been really supportive. I mean, I've, I'll be honest, I've never been stood outside an incident and had a member of the public offer me a drink before. Um, well, that's happened a few times over the summer. Are you all right? Do you want a drink? You think, good grief. Yeah, that'd be lovely, actually. Thank you. Um, and the number of calls for incidents that perhaps aren't very, very serious has absolutely dropped off a cliff. So we've had more time, so we've had more ambulances available to, to the really serious jobs, which there have been more of. There have been more of the serious incidents and fewer of the uh, the less serious ones that we, we would normally go to. Um, so that, that's that's been quite nice that we've, we've crews have had the time to properly debrief and kind of collect the thoughts and things rather than being rushed job to job to job like we were 18 months ago. Now as it is, it's... Um, it's changed quite a bit. It's slowly creeping back to normal practices. And uh, I should think in going by recent announcements in uh, in six to nine months, yeah. it's probably going to be going back to utter chaos again. But uh, we'll see. I, I miss it a little bit. <laughs> Do you think you can see the industry going back to how it was prior to COVID happening, where, you know, get rid of the PPE, you know, think you're going to go back to, mixed in communal areas again like it was before or do you think there'll always be now an element of safety first because of what we've gone through i think uh with certain things 
like the communal spaces and so on, that's going to be minimized because I think the majority of our staff have all had the jab. Most people, have, well, have either had COVID, had the jab, or, I don't know, uh, living by the seat of their pants. But I think the, the communal areas thing is perhaps going to be relaxed in line with, you know, general uh, social uh, restrictions being relaxed. Um, I do think that protecting vulnerable patients yeah. and so on. So the wearing of masks, I think, is going to is going to remain. And I think the way that we deal with, as I said before, the cardiac arrest side of things, the really serious jobs, I think that's going to be staying. I, I, I can't see that being revoked. Um, so, yeah, it, it's going to be... Um, it's going to be interesting. I think our workload's going to pick up when the pubs open. People are still going to start getting drunk again and falling over the high heels and and whatever else. But so that's going to increase. I don't think there'll be drastic changes. I think this is this is it, really, isn't it? Now, We're living with it. I think you're right. I think I think you're right. And I, you know, I think there's there's clear positives. Um, in terms of how COVID's affected society, you know, we're more aware of hygiene and stuff like that, which is good. Um, next question, James. Clearly, you're a you're a real integral employer to our course, and, and you've been into college on numerous occasions and spoken to students about careers. You know, if 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 we've got students at the college who who are thinking of a career within a medical profession, like a paramedic or even 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 the armed forces, medical services, things like that. Okay, what 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 three skills or qualities do you think um, a young person has to be able to show in order to kind of get a bit of longevity out of a career, say, like yourself? Um, Skills-wise, I don't think there is... Doesn't, there aren't really skills that you can't learn. So I, I think in terms of your students, if there's something that they feel they perhaps haven't got or can't do or are uncomfortable with, all of that is stuff you can pick up. All of that is stuff you can learn. I think the key attributes that anybody needs, and it's absolutely essential, is to be able to honestly appraise yourself. I think that's the that's a really, really big one for me, is you've got to be able to look at yourself and say, I'm really good at this, X, Y, and Z. I can nail it. I am spot on for these things. I'm dead good at these. But A, B, and C, I'm not great at and D, I'm terrible. So being able to recognize your own limitations and your own weaknesses, there's loads of examples of why it's important, but I think specifically in the uh, health and unplanned health settings is that um, you know your X, Y, and Z brilliance, your confidence is brimming, but you end up in a D situation. And it's sometimes I've seen in professionals a little bit tricky to tone down the confidence dependent on the situation and people can come really unstuck whether it's in learning, in college, in school, in your personal life, you know, that like in town on a Friday night when it comes back, people get into fights because they're confident, but then it's perhaps a bit misplaced confidence in a certain situation and they end up getting lumps and then, you know, I turn up and try and put them back together. But I think being able to appraise yourself and reflection is, is an important one. Um, I think caring, which sounds ridiculous, but Bit, like just just caring about people um, and wanting the best for people. So if you turn up to someone, you don't, your immediate thoughts aren't, well, this has been caused their own bloody fault. Why are they ringing? You know, what do they want? Like if someone's having difficulty in breathing and they've been a smoker for 60 years, 
it's not my place to tell them they're an idiot for smoking for 60 years. I'm sure they know that. But it's my place to make them feel better. So just kind of park your opinions and try and make them feel better. That's that's a key one, I think. Just I mean, It sounds ridiculous, but we, we you see people who are more interested in exercising their own or you know, demonstrating their own superiority, like a narcissist or something, uh, than providing care, which doesn't work out well, I don't think. Um, you said three, didn't you? That's only two. What else can I say? Um, I think being able to stay awake, being, being able to stay awake at night, that's a big one. <laughs> it goes to like three or four in the morning, and, you know, even the telly's naff. You've had about eight coffees, so you're really anxious, and you feel uncomfortable, but you're still tired, man. Everything aches. Your eyeballs are made out of lead, and your feet aren't working. You need a wee, but you can't even get out of the chair. And then your radio goes off. You've got to be kind of, you know, like a spring. You've got to be able to do your job. <laughs> and if you, I'll be honest, I've come a cropper with it once or twice. Wait, your brain just doesn't work, and you try to start a car engine that's already running, or you try and set off in third gear. Oh, man. Yeah, so I think... Being able to stay awake is also a, a, a massive positive. I think if you've got the other two, though, that staying awake, you'll be all right. Yeah, I've I've done shift work, like you know, and it's uh, it's hard if you're not used to shift work. You say that those lonely nights in the middle of the night, you know, where you've you've not had a call for half an hour, you can mm. you can become a little bit relaxed, and it's and it's uh, yeah, it's tough. Um, speaking to a student this morning, uh, Jake, and he had a question. Um, he's he's thinking of a career than the medical industry, you know. And he's thinking, do I go to university? Do I apply for, like, mm -hmm. is there a technician apprenticeship scheme that the that NWAS offer? Or do they apply for a job like a, you know, um, a support paramedic or a support technician? Uh, if they want, if people are wanting a career, what, you know, what are the options going forward for careers? What would you suggest? Um, yeah, yeah. It's a vague answer I'm about to give, and this probably won't be great, but it depends on the individual, I think, and your circumstances and your preference. Um, personally, I, I kind of fell into the job a bit, but you can start as a technician. Like now your options today would be you can either go to university at one of the, I think there are three or four universities in this area in the Northwest that offer the course. You can study a degree in paramedic practice, and uh, when you when you graduate, you'll 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 get a job, um, and that'll be you as a qualified uh, qualified paramedic working for the ambulance service. But obviously, that's three years studying all the debt that that entails. The um, obviously the, the the challenges of higher education solidly for three years. So you, You've got to live at university or be able to commute. You've got to take part in placements. Uh, it's, it's quite involved. And some people, that is absolutely ideal, perfect. Just get it all out of the way, get it done, and, and, and get it sorted out. Uh, the other option is to join the ambulance service as a, I've got to get this right, uh, an associate ambulance practitioner, AAP. It's, it's what everyone calls the technician. So it's it's the role you'll tend to get two technicians on an ambulance sometimes it's not always a paramedic and a technician um and they do essentially all that a paramedic would bar a few skills and there's also a little bit less uh, decision making to do you know you're more um, policy led and there's a little bit less responsibility while you've got all the same 
well, most of the same opportunities, uh, the responsibility lies with somebody else, which is always a bit nice. And that's an apprenticeship that runs for, for two years. And that's paid. So you paid when you go on the course, you paid your salary for the two years while you're completing your apprenticeship portfolio. And then once you finish that, you'll work as a, you get a pay rise incrementally. I think it's every six months you get a little bit more money. Um, and then you spend a couple of years working as a technician, getting experience, seeing patients, going to emergencies, doing all the, the work that you would. And then eventually, I think at the minute we're on about four or five years, people are waiting. And then the, the, the ambulance trust will put you through your degree. Um, so then you, you continue to get paid your salary, which is nice. You go to university and do the studying and you finish as a paramedic. So it's, it's a longer, it's a longer process, but perhaps if you're not confident in your academic ability, like your higher education ability, and you're not sure whether a degree is really for you, you can just go and get a job and get earning money and you can figure out if you like the job. So I always think it's a bit of a concern to go and spend three years and a heck of a lot of money. And then you come out of university and you think, actually, I don't really like this job. Uh, it's, it's, it's a big gamble. So I think that the taking the, the technician route is nice and safe. And as well, financially, it's uh, it's much, much better because you, you'll graduate without any debt or without any academic debt. And, uh, and you'll have been paid throughout. Whereas obviously the students who are going through university don't get paid a salary. Yes, I suppose the, the, the difference being like we, we've just got a student who's gone on to the... Um, the paramedic course at UCLan, and it's it's that guarantee at the end that you know this is going to get me a job. Um, but like I say, it's east to their own, isn't mm -hmm. it? You know, if, if people enjoy learning and if people are good at learning, they, they tend to kind of take on to the next level. Um, and like I say, if people kind of get to the end of a, the sixth form career thinking, man, this has been a long. 10, 12, 14 years of education, now I'm ready for the world, then there's a, there's an alternative route as well that you know you can apply in, in that way as well, which, which, is, which is great that the service offers young people a choice like that, which I think is really important. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that, that's, that's the thing of it. Some people are just absolutely cured of, uh, of learning, aren't they? So you, you don't want to go into another really intensive uh, setup where, you, you, you know, daily lectures practice assessments, all this kind of stuff. Sometimes just you just want to chill out a bit and go and earn some money, don't you? Absolutely, mate. Absolutely. Well, James, that brings us to the end of, uh, of, of our podcast. Um, thank you very much. There we go. It's, it's really appreciative. It's, uh, I think I think the people listening to this are going to get some information they maybe didn't know about uh, a career as a paramedic, and, and hopefully um, – we can get more and more people considering it as an option. And I know, you know, people have burning questions and, and I think you've answered them all, mate. So, so thank you very much for your time. Uh, it is, it is really appreciated. Yeah, no problem. It's always a pleasure. I'm um, looking forward to being able to come into uh, do some more of your live learning classes because they're always good fun. It's always nice to meet the students and stuff. If, um, if anybody listens to it, any students and they have got any further questions, obviously tell them not to hesitate, get in touch. If they've got any questions, I'm more than happy to help anybody, as you know. Anything I can help with, I'm more than happy to do so. Wonderful, mate. Thank you very much. And I will uh, I will see you on Saturday morning for a little bike ride we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> All right, mate. Thanks very much, James. I'm out training now. I'm doing this. Take it easy, buddy. <laughs> see you soon.